evening and God bless you and thank you for tuning in and joining us here as we study the word of God in our midweek service. We are in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we will get there in just a second. Um, this Saturday morning, gentlemen especially, but everybody who wants to come is welcome to we are going to be moving Courtney Stewart's house into a pod container, which will be parked on her driveway. So it won't take um, a lot of steps and it won't take a lot of uh, work because she has everything all packed up and ready to go. So we figure a couple hours, depending how many people we have out, as long as we have more than, than Vince and Larry, we should uh, do pretty well. So we would ask you, please, Consider coming out on Saturday morning to Courtney Stewart's home. You can find the address online in the e-bulletin. Is that correct, Carly? Isn't that amazing? I got it right. All right. So um, please uh, consider doing that. Um, other than that, I don't think there's anything else going on of note. Uh, Sunday mornings are wonderfully well. We're having a very close to full house every Sunday morning here and we have quite a lot of people watching online so we pray that you're being blessed and more importantly that you're being edified and that you are growing in the spirit and our Tuesday nights we have our men's prayer meeting and I'm thinking of opening it up to men of, oh no I won't say that I was going to get myself in a whole lot of trouble um, men and women both We'll just make it a, a Tuesday night prayer meeting. Everybody who wants to come pray, pray. Um, really, to be quite honest with you, uh, prayer is, is, is crucial right now in this stage of the game that our country is in, where our children are at, and what is coming in the future. We do believe that Jesus Christ is coming back, and I do believe that it's going to be soon, maybe even sooner than I think. And so we want to be found ready to go. And we also want to be found busy about the Father's business in doing whatever we can to help bring people to Christ during this time. So um, I'm inviting you to come on Tuesday nights at 6.30 to 7.15, all online. That um, You can find it on the website. We have links directly to there. Okay. All right. Having said that, would you please stand, everybody? And we're going to read Second or First Thessalonians chapter two, and we're going to read verses one through nine. For you yourselves know, brethren that our coming to you was not in vain. Even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, you know, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel 
even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, neither from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Let us pray. Father, I come before you, the God of the word, who spoke through the Holy Spirit to men, who recorded your thoughts, putting them on paper, and then preserving it through all of these centuries. And as we look at what you have written, as we study it, we see that it is just as relevant as it was when it was first written. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is trying to communicate to us through this. And may it have a powerful, powerful effect upon our lives. We thank you for these, these precious, precious words. And we ask you now to bless it to the nourishments of our spirits. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Honor, integrity, um, those are almost relative terms in our culture. They used to really mean something. Real integrity is not much held in high esteem in our culture today. Uh, I don't know if you guys like MASH. Remember the TV show, MASH, right? There was an episode there with Father McKay, who uh, was founding himself, falling in love with one of the nurses. And the scriptwriter um, was being pressured to have him chase after her and then, you know, sort of uh, go against his vows of the priesthood because that's what people do. That's what they told the writer. But he wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do it. He would not have that character fall morally. And Father McKay stood his ground. One of the rare cases that you see in an entertainment world that it didn't go south. Now, unlike Hollywood, where integrity is in short supply, in ministry, it must be in great supply for ministry to be effective. 
And Paul begins this section of scripture by defending the integrity of his ministry. And it's not because he was insecure about his ministry. It was because he had a lot of enemies in Thessalonica, in this city. And they were discrediting him in his absence. Uh, his enemy said that he had left town quickly because he was a self-serving coward. That was basically the accusations they made against him. So he feels it's important to defend his ministry before this fledgling group of believers, lest they believe the lies and fall away. So as he defends his ministry, he teaches us things about integrity in ministry. By first of all, in verses 1 and 2, we saw last week maintaining the integrity of his ministry in general. Secondly, in verses 3 through 5, he maintained the integrity of his message. And tonight, he's going to give us two more pictures of the ideal Christian ministry and authentic ministry by maintaining the integrity of his motives and maintaining the integrity in the matters of money or financial dealing. So let's define integrity. It's the quality of being honest, having strong moral principles, and moral uprightness. That is integrity. And boy, wouldn't we like to see a little bit more of it, especially with our leaders in government. Um, Paul is a prime example. They should probably study his life. It certainly wouldn't hurt, would it? In verse 6, chapter 2, it says, We did not seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. To be effective in ministry, you need to have your ego in check. Paul was not seeking glory. He wasn't seeking applause. He was not seeking the appreciation of men and the praise of men. In the Amplified Version of the Bible, this verse rendered this way, nor did we seek to extract praise and honor and glory from men. I think another way we might say that is we're not fishing for compliments. Um, unlike um, a lot of us, uh, we, we, we want to be reaffirmed. Paul wasn't worried about that. We were not fishing for compliments, my paraphrase, either from you or from anyone else, though we might have asserted our authority. What does that mean? Well, stood on our dignity and claimed honor as apostles. In other words, we could have pushed it and told you, hey, we are apostles. Therefore, you will respect us and you will honor us. As a matter of fact, uh, then you can go ahead and compliment us and it'll be all the better for you. His detractors were painting Paul as an ego-driven dictator. In every community in the Roman world, there would be sages or a sage. And these were, were, were typically men 
who served as mentors and advisors and facilitators and counselors and role models. And typically they came from the community because, I mean, they were chosen from the community because they had demonstrated some magnitude of wisdom. It was common in that day that sages would claim the right to rule over all things because of their wisdom. You all recognize that I'm wise, right? Yes, we all recognize you're wise. Okay, well, this is how we're going to do it. And then they would make the final, final say. And since they were the smartest ones in the room, they alone were qualified to make decisions. You ever been in somebody like that who feels like they are the smartest person in the room and they feel like they're the only one qualified to make decisions about things? Well, in our culture, we have self-appointed experts who have discovered everything that there is to know about a given topic. And they say things like, you know, I've been in this business for X amount of years. You ever heard that before? And you know what's coming next, right? <laughs> it could be a string of baloney. Um, there was a vice president of a corporation had a team member challenge his assumption on a project. And he refused to listen to him. His response was, look, I am the one with two initials after my name. And until he gets those initials, I'm not going to listen to anything he says. I know what those initials were. Never mind, I'm not going to tell you. It's an ego issue, and it's bound to destroy teamwork. It's bound to destroy your business, and it will definitely undermine and destroy your ministry. That kind of attitude has no place in ministry. The Bible says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Okay. In other words, God says, I gave you two ears and one mouth. Please take the hint. Okay, take the hint. Now in Thessalonica, they were charging Paul as being a self-appointed, self-absorbed sage who was claiming the right to rule all things, seeking honor for himself. But Paul says, I'm not seeking glory from men. Um, my needs for security and acceptance are met in Christ. I don't care about praises of the people. Now, we used to say that, but truthfully, we didn't mean it. But Paul said it, and he absolutely meant it. It meant that he didn't spend his life trying to seek and earn the acceptance of men. He didn't have to be the smartest one in the room just because he had a doctorate in apostleship. His name, Paul, his, the transformation in his character from being Saul the persecutor to Paul the apostle, that was his credentials. When he had credentials, um, he, he was thought he was the smartest one in the room. Then after Jesus Christ leveled him, and I mean literally leveled him onto the ground, he changed, he transformed, his heart and his mind transformed. He ministered from an understanding of his identity in Jesus. In Christ, he was an anointed man, called to take the gospel to the Gentiles, the proof of which would be signs and wonders performed in the name of Jesus. The doctrine he preached that Jesus crucified 
risen from the dead in three days and his soon return. And it would be done in humility. You wouldn't see him on a Vine video or TikTok or anything else, social media-wise, screaming in the face of other people of how right he was and how wrong they were. He approached people with a gentleness and with wisdom and asked God, please, open their eyes. Open their eyes. The Bible says that there is a veil over unbelievers' eyes, a blindness to them. So if he is the one who is blinding them, then it doesn't mean no good to sit and argue with the person themselves because they are being blinded by another entity, and that's who I will do warfare with. He had Christ's approval, so he didn't need man's. He kept his ego in check. That's why Paul didn't come to the Thessalonians with flattery and manipulation, but instead, the way we really like people to approach us with authenticity, with simplicity, and with honesty, and with humility. Now, in verse 6, he says, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ, in other words, though we might have asserted our authority and stood on our dignity, and claim honor among you. Um, he says, I, I, we could have done that. We could have actually come before you with all the authority and the power of our office, you know, and, you know, made you kowtow to what we had to say. But we didn't do that, he says. Have you ever, you know what tour writers are? a tour writer. Um, it's actually part of a contract that performers make uh, venues sign before they will come and play at their place, like at State Farm um, Arena or whatever that's called, uh, stadium. They would have certain requirements before they would come. Um, Madonna, you guys are familiar with that name? Well, she brings a 200-person entourage everywhere she goes, all right? And that includes 30 bodyguards, personal chefs, a yoga instructor, and an acupuncturist, and an on-site dry cleaner. <laughs> she, <laughs> she requires 20 international phone lines, lilies and white and light pink roses that have stems, trims, precisely to six inches. These are her requirements if she's going to come play at your place. Um, her, I won't say a competitor, but anyway, Katy Perry. Uh, in her contract, chauffeurs are not allowed to start a conversation with her, and they're not to stare at the back seat through the rearview mirror. The dressing room has to be draped in cream or soft pink. Coffee table must be in there and it must be a, a glass, clear glass type of coffee table. There should be a pair of floor, lamp, floor lamps that are in a French ornate style and there needs to be a refrigerator in there and it must come with a glass door. Those are her requirements, all right? Um, I tried to find out some of our, our famous Christian artists and what they would demand, you know, to come and do a concert. 
and I couldn't find anything that was, you know, anything like close to like this. But there was an instance uh, back in the day when Calvary was uh, really gaining strength at Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego, Mike McIntosh was um, promoting concerts and they hired a Christian band to come play. But in the contract, the band had to be paid um, a certain amount of money plus a percentage of the gig. And there had to be a minimum of fans in the stadium or in the sanctuary before they would play. And it was getting time to start and there weren't enough fans to cover the percentage of the gate that the band had to have. So they decided that they weren't going to play. And, and, and poor uh, Mike, he didn't know what to do. You know? So he calls Chuck, Chuck Smith, and Chuck says, okay, I'll take care of this. He comes over, he walks into the hotel room, he looks at the guys in the band and says, all right, how much money is it that you need to be able to, to do this? And so they, they did the calculations and they said this much money. He said, fine. Pulled out a checkbook, wrote him a check, tore it off and gave it to them. They got up and they, they wanted to start to leave. And he says, no, 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 don't worry about that. I've already got another band that's going on to play. You guys just go home. You're done. You're done. You see, that's an attitude that you just don't want to have in ministry. You don't have any power in what you do. No matter how glitzy and glamorous and how polished you come off on stage, there is no spiritual power with that kind of attitude. Paul was of the attitude to give something to people, not take something from them. He did not come making demands because he could as Paul the Apostle. Turn to Matthew 10, verse 8. Jesus is speaking. He's sending out believers two by two to do ministry and he tells them here this is your job cure the sick raise the dead cleanse the lepers and drive out demons now that dude that's as you know wow that's exciting to be given that kind of spiritual power to be able to walk into a community and start raising the dead cleansing lepers and driving out demons but he says freely you have received freely give don't you dare take anything for the service you render don't go to the sign shop and get Dennis Templeton evangelistic ministries banners to put all over your donkey okay Freely you have received, freely give. These guys would, it, these tasks would have been impossible had not Jesus already empowered them to do the very things he asked them to do. But yet they were to minister without charge. Whatever God has given you, and this is the application for this little part of this, whether you 
whatever gifts, abilities, money, or talent, whatever has been given to you freely by his grace, and trust me, guys, everything you have has been given to you freely by his grace. Let these gifts freely flow through you to help those around you. Now, some people feel, you know, bankrupt, like there's no way I could go out and raise the dead or cure the, the ill. I don't think I have a lot to offer. The word tells us that we have not because we, we ask not. That's right. So quit thinking that verse is all about your bank account. It has everything to do with what gifting God has placed upon your life. Maybe we should be spending a little more time in prayer saying, Lord, I need to be blessed. I need to be empowered so that I might be a blessing to others. Remember Corson? Blessings are like measles. You can't give them unless you got them. We've talked about going to the table of showbread where we receive our daily bread. And I think it's really important that part of that daily bread is, Lord, empower me for ministry. Bless me indeed so that I may bless others. All right. Let's go back to um, 2 Thessalonians verse 7. Paul makes a further point to prove the integrity of his motives. He says in verse 7, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Paul is using the imagery of a nursing mother. And, and the picture that I see in my mind is that a mom only looks to give to her child and not to take from it. Now, some among the Thessalonians had accused Paul of ministering out of self-interest. Paul saying, he's asking the Christians in Thessalonica to remember that gentle character of his ministry among them. We don't like it when people in authority treat us like a number, right? Or treat us indifferently. Um, you don't want to go to a doctor's office and have them treat you just like a number. That's all you are and move on. You want someone who actually cares. How much more do you want someone who cares about you spiritually, about the most important thing in all of life? And not to treat you indifferently, but someone who cares genuinely about your needs and has your best interests in mind. So Paul says, that was me. That was me. Gentle among you, okay? So the infective, infective? the effective minister is one who cares and is gentle in approach. You know, guys, you're going to get a chance to minister to somebody before this week is over. It's going to come up on you. You're not going to see it. And if you're not careful and your attitude isn't surrendered to Christ, you might treat them a little indifferently. You might just go to what your nature is. Be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Be gentle in your approach. All right, let's look at verses 8 and 9, and we're going to move from the integrity of motive to integrity in the matters of money. Verse 8. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, 
for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. So affectionately longing for you. There was a sincere emotional attachment of Paul to these people. You ever had that towards other believers? If you ever been engaged in ministry and God put you in a situation, well, I can tell you this for sure. There has never been a teenager that I have taken out onto the mission field, whether it was Peru or in Mexico, who didn't first sort of resist the whole idea, but once they got down there and they got involved in the people's lives, they fell in love with those people. They did, and they swore at that moment that they're going to be missionaries forever. All right. But you see, there is an emotional attachment. Paul is affectionately longing for them. And he says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our very own lives. You know what that means? That means it was sacrifice. There was sacrifice, okay? If you're taking notes, write this down. Ministry will always require sacrifice. Always. When you serve someone else in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're going to go to bat for them spiritually, it's going to cost you. I don't, oh, John Henry Jowett. He said, ministry that costs nothing achieves nothing. It doesn't accomplish anything. Think about it. What if Jesus only almost went to the cross? Almost, right? Just let himself to get beat up, but that's as far as it went. Well, he would have stopped short, and it would have been ineffective, wouldn't it? Exactly. So he is our example, y'all. And if he's our example, then understand. Ministry that's going to cost you nothing is going to achieve nothing. On the other hand, if it does cost, then you can expect it to achieve. Now, Luke 17.10, you can turn there. Jesus shows us the, the attitude, the inward attitude that we should have. And at first glance, it looks like it's a little harsh. In Luke 17.10, he says, In the same way when you obey me, by the way, in John, he says, if you love me, you will obey me. And he doesn't say that beating on his chest. He's just going to say that, you know what, if you love me, the natural result of that, the natural outcome of that is that you're going to be obedient to me. He says, in the same way, when you obey me, you should say, here's your attitude, guys. We're unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Um, when your hearts are right, you live and you act as if you're happy to have the privilege of being allowed to serve God. In other words, guys, it's a get to, not a have to. You get the privilege and the honor to serve the most living God. That's what I've been trying to really drill into your hearts the last few weeks going through the priesthood. What an honor all of that is to be a priest of the Most High God. So that when you serve the Lord and he uses you, say, you know what, man, I'm just doing, you hear it all the time, right? I'm just doing my job. You're a hero. You saved that little boy who was tossed out of the burning window off the 10th floor 
and you leaped up and you caught it midair and you floated down and you saved its life. How amazing, you're a hero. And a real hero will say, I'm just doing my job. I just happened to be there. And that's the attitude Jesus wants us to approach ministry with, okay? That it's a get to, not a have to. The sacrifices Paul endured for the sake of ministry to the Thessalonians were not a burden to him. He is well pleased to do it because he was affectionately longing for them because they had become dear to him and his associates. He had a very warm affection and tender yearning for their spiritual babyhood in Thessalonica. Do you know that? Have you ever seen somebody come to Christ and you were part of that? And don't you really care about their spiritual development? And don't you long for them to grow? And that being the case, he says, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. So another way to say this is that Paul was pouring his life into these babes in Christ. Pouring his life into. That's one thing that is missing, I believe, in modern Christianity. At least it's severely lacking. It's the imparting of one's own life into the life of another. We call it what? Discipleship. All right. You know, they say that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Paul gave both his care and his knowledge to the Thessalonians. But I can tell you a lot of our, our well, I can tell you from a young person's point of view that they could care less. If you're not going to spend the time to get to know who they are, then you're just a dive bomb Christian. Preach the gospel, maybe they'll say a prayer, and then you're gone out of their life. Skate park, um, we've been out there, what, seven years now? Seven years, and a lot of people who would go out there to minister to them would hand out tracts and, and flyers and things, and then they're gone. But being out there all the time has, has developed some credibility on our part as to what Jesus Christ really is all about. And it's gaining us a hearing with them. And I think that's where this generation is, is really at. What do you call it? Relational evangelism? Where you get to know them and you get to befriend them and you get to invest in their life. They know it's real and they feel comfortable with you and then they will accept what you have to say. Living with a genuine interest in the lives of those we lead is more than just the occasional, hey, how you doing? It's staying tuned in and aware of how life is going for them personally. Church leaders are to present people as perfect in Christ. Did you know that? Complete in Christ is what Paul says. And I think it's in, in Galatians or Colossians. That's his goal, to present you complete in Christ, meaning mature, fully developed. And that takes time. And that takes investment into the person itself. We need to teach them that they have a new identity in Christ. That takes time. They need to learn to have an active relationship with God. That takes time. Develop healthier bonds with family and friends and learn how to exercise godly stewardship of resources. That takes time and effort to impart your life. Juan Carlos Ortiz 
It is more than getting to know what the teacher knows. It is getting to be what he is. A disciple is a person who learns to live the life his teacher lives. And most hopefully you are living a life that glorifies your God. All right, verse 8, Paul says, We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. He shows how when he asks them to remember our labor and toil, laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. What does he mean by not being a burden to any of them? He's talking about financially. Financially, we are not going to be a burden to you. Although we could require it. I mean, we, we really could. You know, look, I'm, I'm ministering to you spiritual things, which are far superior than the monetary things that you have here in this house and you have in your pocket. So if I'm sharing with you the good things of God, then it's only reasonable that you would share with me your finances to help me get to the next place to do this. And indeed, some churches actually did financially support Paul. Matter of fact, because of the gift of the Philippian Christians, Paul was able to minister to the Thessalonian Christians, okay? But he says, we're going to labor night and day. What was Paul, what was his profession? He was a tent maker. So he would make tents in the day or in the morning and then preach all afternoon and teach. Paul exhausted, falls to sleep exhausted in his tent and then get up the next day and do it all over again. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul explains this a little bit better. And I'm going to read this through the from the New Living Translation. Verse 7, he says, For you know that you ought to imitate us. We were not idle when we were with you. We've given you an example to follow here, guys. We never accepted food from anyone without paying for it. We worked hard day and night so we would not be a burden, a financial burden to any of you. We certainly had the right to ask you to feed us, but we wanted to give you an example to follow. That's what he did. He and his associates, Silas and Timothy, did not ask for money from the church at Thessalonica, but rather lived on what Paul earned and what the Philippians sent. Now, when you do something like that, your motives cannot be impugned, can't be questioned, can they? Because you're not here for the financial gain. Unlike the false teachers who always would seek after money. Have you heard of a thing called the Didache? The Didache. That was sort of a uh, manual that the apostles used to um, give them an, a guidelines on, on how to do ministry from city to city. Well, one of the things it told the churches that if, if a man comes in, because anyone could say they're an apostle. You know, you really didn't have the, the official laminated apostleship card developed yet by that time. Anybody could come in and say they were an apostle or a preacher. 
He says, well, this is how you can tell if the guy is authentic or not. If he asks for money in each way, shape, or form, he's a liar. Don't give him anything, kick him out, send him on his way. That's how you know not to ask for money. Paul recognizes his right to be supported by those he ministered to, but he gives up that right to set himself apart from these guys. And he not only labored to supply him and his team's needs, but he did it, notice in your scripture there, I think it's in verse 8, when? When did he do it? Night and day. Night and day. Um, one gentleman said Paul means by the phrase night and day that he started work before dawn. The usage is regular and frequent. He no doubt began so early in order to be able to devote some part of the day to preaching. Sounds like your job around the house, right? Night and day. Housework never ends. Ministry never ends. It was Dave Guzik that said, few things test a person's spirituality more accurately than the way he uses his money and his time. Because money is congealed life. That means it's your personal energy reduced to a portable form. James Ryrie said, how we use our money demonstrates the reality of our love for God. In some ways, depth of knowledge, length of prayers, or prominence of service. Again, forget that last part. Just take the first sentence, all right? How we use our money demonstrates the reality of our love for God. That's the point that we're trying to make here. You know, discipleship is the cornerstone of our commission. Go and make disciples. I think in these days, there's a more urgent need for it than ever before. We have teens, we have children, we have adults who are, are hurting and, and coming in and are, are new to the faith. And we do need to invest our lives. You either, or you actually should be both in a, a relationship to be discipled by older Christians definitely should be discipling younger Christians. And I would just encourage you, pray over that and see who the Lord will bring into your life that needs what you have and what you know. And when you do it, don't charge them for it, okay? Don't ask them to pay for your meals. Ask them for the privilege and honor to be a representative of Jesus Christ to them. Okay? All right, that's all I got for tonight. Let's all stand, please. And Larry, why don't you come on up? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the challenge that we have before us about discipleship. And I want to say thank you because I see many people in our church doing exactly that taking younger Christians under their wing and pouring into their lives. And I know, Lord God, that it will not be in vain. You are the one that will cause it to bear fruit. So I pray for, for those who are discipling others that they would not grow weary, 
in well-doing, for they shall reap if they faint not, if they just don't wear out and quit. It's, it's hard work, Father. So true, because we're dealing with human beings who are free moral agents, and they can choose to do things. They can choose to say yes, to say no, to go left and go right. Sometimes it breaks our heart. But helps us, help us, please, to be sensitive to your spirit. Because I've learned, Lord, that as I am discipling others, that sometimes um, I make mistakes and say things I shouldn't say, and I get called on it. And instead of letting my pride rise up and, and say, hey, you know, who's, who's the one with the uh, spiritual doctorate behind their name? have to say I'm sorry I was wrong and there's no shame in that matter of fact uh, there's some genuine authenticity of that so I pray for our people that they would be genuine they would be authentic they would be humble and that it would be effective so thank you for the call father and thank you for fulfilling it in us and through us and I pray this in Jesus